Welcome to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast, a weekly program that looks back at historic content from our archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by today's edition. In this audio from February 22nd, 2022, the South Carolina Senate Judiciary Committee discusses and votes on the Article 5 application as proffered by Convention of States action. Later that year, South Carolina went on to become the 19th state to join the COS movement. These are a series of bills which concern Article 5 applications um, to the Congress to call uh, a uh, Convention of States. S-133, as introduced, is a joint resolution which would make an application to impose fiscal restraints, limit federal power and jurisdiction, and have term limits. Included in S-133 are instructions to Congress about uh, Congress performing only ministerial duties. There's also a very detailed um, description in S-133 about how delegates or commissioners are selected and how that they may be recalled. And also instructions uh, to the delegates prior to the convention uh, about um, uh, what uh, their duties are in the convention and uh, what happens if they exceed their duties. H3205 is very similar to S133 in that it also is a joint resolution to impose fiscal restraints, limit federal power and jurisdiction, and have term limits. It has some also talk about Congress's ministerial duties. Um, it, it, it specifically limits its application for a period of 10 years. And in talking about uh, delegates to a constitutional convention, it uh, asks that when determining commissioners or delegates that the electing body take into account race, gender, and age so as to represent to the greatest extent possible all segments of the population of the state. S-141 is a concurrent resolution and it deals with a balanced budget. It is a, a single application request for a balanced budget convention of states. S-887 is a general bill. It would add statutory requirements that provide for an oath of office for anyone serving as a commissioner or an alternate to a convention of states. And it would provide that a commissioner or an alternate who is convicted of violating the oath is guilty of a felony and upon conviction could be imprisoned for up to 10 years. Mr. Chairman, as reported out of subcommittee, S-133 and H-3205 were both amended with strike all amendments to insert the model language that is re recommended by the Convention of States organization without additional language that was in either of those joint resolutions. S-141 was reported out of the subcommittee without an amendment, and S-887, the general bill, was reported out with a clarifying amendment 
that if the um, if a section if an Article Five convention is called, the General Assembly would determine how the commissioners and alternates were selected. Mr. Chairman, the um, amendments that were passed out of subcommittee were passed on a 3-2 vote um, by the members of the subcommittee. Paula's uh, description, uh, you want to add anything to that or? Uh, well, Paula, Miss um, Benson made a very precise, as she always is, and um, gave an accurate description. I would say that the uh, adoption of the Convention of States language is an effort to have similar language that other states have so that a court or Congress could not consider it a separate and new and independent application and start the count all over again because you have to have 34 states under Article 5 to call a convention of states. You have to have 38 states. You have to have 75 percent of the states ratify a Article 5 proposed amendment. So that's a, that's a safeguard, a very important safeguard from a convention being a, a um, runaway convention or producing a result that does not have wide, broad support among the states. And, um, and so that's why we adopted that amendment and but with S-133 and then amending H-3205 uh, with the same language, we, it's really a procedural effort to have two vehicles, one a Senate bill and one a House bill. The House bill is further along. So that would be the vehicle that we would we would use. All right. Uh, so discussion about that now. Uh, Senator Harputlian has asked to be recognized with a question. To um, Sen Senator Canson, um, and, and I've done a little research on this, but as I understand it, um, once you send these folks to a convention, you can't really. Um, you can't restrain them from what they're going to do. They, for instance, could repeal the Second Amendment if they wanted to. Am I correct on that? <laughs> um, no, there are some allegations to that effect. But if you if you really look at the um, the history of, of ratifying conventions, like like the senator from Edgefield several years ago sent me a book during the off season while we were out of session I read the um, ratification which is Pauline Myers account of the ratifying conventions in each state and when you understand that state by state and you get an idea of what conventions were and the and the the framers understood them to be a ad hoc meeting in order to address a single issue within parameters and then to adjourn and that's the, and so the, that's the way the US Constitution was ratified throughout the nation and um, and so and there, there is a safeguard too, senator because actually I was previously ag against this concept and I studied myself to position to be for it and um, if you read this book you might do the same senator it's light reading it's like 800 and 833 pages, but um, it's a long plane ride back, right? Senator, go ahead. I'm, I'm, 
I'm in Slovenia, as you know. I couldn't see the you cover that. of that book. Could you tell me what it is, please? Uh, Far From Unworkable by Timothy Drake, which is an account of, okay. of the convention, the framers, the framers' ideas and actually original writings and manuscripts and comments upon the convention. But the book that I mentioned that you may want to read while you're overseas is a very intriguing book and it's Ratification by Pauline Meyer. It's a very, very interesting book okay. about the state so, so, conventions that ratified the U.S. Constitution. So, uh, let me ask you this, though. Could not a, could we not pass, and I mean, does it have to originate at a convention, or can we each state pass a specific provision? Here, I noticed one of the big concerns here is a balanced budget. Could we pass uh, something without it going through a convention? Well, the only the framers gave us two ways to amend the Constitution, and in classic framer fashion, they divided that power between the federal government and the state government, like they did numerous times. You're very familiar with this, with federalism, the concept of federalism. Um, the elections clause is even something that's talked about today and they divided that power. They gave it primarily to the states but ultimately to the federal government. And there's many instances where they divide that power and diffuse it and this is one of them because in Article 5 Congress can initiate an amendment to the Constitution and the states have their own way to initiate um, the, the, an amendment to the Constitution. And, um, Hamilton talks about it in Federalist 85, that we may safely rely on the disposition of the state legislatures to erect barriers against encroachments of the national authority through this process. And so really what Hamilton said was this is an arrow the framers gave, put in our quiver at the state level to use against federal overreach and excessive use of power, excessive spending, or various issues. And so that's, that's and, and they gave it to, to the state as a means to amend the Constitution. The, con the federal government has a means, and so there you have this division of power over the, uh, the, con the uh, constitutional amendment process. Samuel Jones from New York at the ratifying con uh, convention he gave another reason. The reason there are two modes for amending the Constitution, I suppose, is this. It could not be known to the framers if there was too much power given to the federal government or too little given to the federal government. They therefore prescribed a mode by which Congress might secure more power if, if they didn't have enough, if it was found necessary, and they prescribed a way for the states a mode of, of restraining the federal government if upon trial, error, and experience it was found necessary to restrain the federal government. So they basically set this thing in motion, this constitution, and they really they, they created a way for, to tweak the balance of powers between the federal and the state, the, the national and the state governments. And so there's many instances of that as the reason given to, 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 uh, for an Article 5 convention initiated by the states, which I, again, I was originally opposed to it, but after having studied it, I really studied myself to position to be supportive of it. Because I understood the framers' vision and reason for doing it.
has there ever been, when was the last time we had a constitutional convention? It was the original constitutional convention the last time, but yeah, we, so we came really so close in the no, we came really close in, in 1917 on the 17th Amendment when we were one one state away from adopting that through a convention of states process, and that precipitated Congress initiating the 17th Amendment and having it ratified. And that's the amendment that made but, but, U.S. senators elected properly instead of by the state legislature. So, so I guess my question is this. This is my major concern. Um, we send folks to a constitutional convention. I looked. I can't find any case, any – I mean, there's theories. They quote Hamilton or whatever. What is to prevent them from doing more than something on a balanced budget? Could they repeal the Second Amendment? And I can't find a single source that says once they go there, they can, they, they're free to do anything they want. I mean, they, they're prohibited from doing anything else. Is there something, some, something I've read the, obviously read the, the, the amendment, the, uh, the, the Constitution, but I can't find a single case, Supreme Court or otherwise, interpreting that in any way, shape, or form. Am, am I wrong about that? There's no Supreme Court case about that, although there is a history of conventions sticking by the subject matter. So if you had a, you had a, a court presiding over a, quote, runaway convention, first of all, a, a convention is not going to be run away when you have, you have a three-quarter ratification requirement. That's really the safeguard, because I'm concerned about that too, but when you have three-quarters of the states have to ratify whatever the outcome is, first you have to have you have to have two-thirds of the state delegates agree, then you have to have three-quarters of the states agree agree with, with their product. And the chance of a runaway convention receiving that kind of support is, um, is very, very... ...really impossible, I would say. Virtually yeah, not. you'd have to have 38 states agree. You'd have to have 38 out of... That's a very high number, very high threat. I mean, it had to be something that, that, that red states, blue states, east coastal states, flyover states, northern states, southern states, they'd all have to agree. I mean, it would be really big major issues that aren't extreme that if to get 38 states to agree through their ratification of the of the uh, proposed amendment and it's Thank and, you, and as, as a state lawmaker it is a it is a arrow that the framers put into our quiver to use and to push back against the federal government if we think it's getting too big spending too much money, getting out of touch. I've long supported Article 5 Convention, and one of the things that the Senator from Charleston pointed out, and I think this is important to uh, our friend in Slovenia to, to, for us to make very clear, this is not a constitutional convention. This is an Article 5 Convention under the Constitution. 
And I think that's one of the things that people have lost focus of. Nobody's talking about putting the entire Constitution on the chopping block. I don't think the founders intended for it to be a self-destruct button built into the Constitution itself. It was a self-correction tool. Uh, I think that they were more concerned in reading the Federalist Papers, Senator Campson, Senator from Charleston, and, uh, and reading the records of the Constitutional Convention. I think the Founding Fathers are far more worried about a runaway federal government than a runaway Article V Convention. And, and, and I feel like that's... But and I and I think that's but the, the point being that's that's what everybody was worried about is that the federal government get out of control, not the states. The states are far more, at least states like ours that live in a in a balanced budget. Now we're far more restrained than Washington is. So I'm less concerned about us destroying the Constitution than Washington is destroying the Constitution. And as Senator Campson pointed out, and I think this has been true in every state that's debated this, and certainly in the Constitution. It's not like you can just go and have a constitutional convention, as we keep hearing it referred to, rewrite the entire thing and then shove it down the state's throats. Everything proposed here still has to go through the same ratification process that you would if Congress proposed these things. So all we're saying is, we're telling Congress, we're taking the power out of your hands by doing this, and we're going to propose stuff y'all would never propose, because I've never seen Congress vote to restrain their own power, or control their own budget, or limit their own terms. And I think that that's, I just want to be clear that when people say we're talking about shredding the Second Amendment or rewriting the Constitution, I don't, that's not the intent. That wasn't the founders' intent. And I know the subcommittee worked really hard, Mr. Chairman, to ensure that was certainly not the intent uh, with, with the state of South Carolina. So I, I appreciate it, uh, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman, if I could just say one other thing. Um, we do have, we also have in our package a, um, a, a bill that deals with a unfaithful delegate. If a delegate is unfaithful and does not stick to the, the issues that are provided for in our joint resolution, then they would be subject to criminal penalties if they're, un, if they're an unfaithful delegate. And I'd like to also just probably, uh, this is the last thing I'll, I'll read and if we're ready to vote, but I do want to get this out on the record. And this is from, um, Jimmy Carter's Justice Department, actually, 1979. It's a memorandum opinion um, of the Attorney General. Um, and he was asked about, can you limit the power of proposed amendments to the Constitution in Article 5? This is what he said. This is his conclusion. We are inclined to think that the Convention Clause has been misnamed. It should have been named the Application Clause because its basic purpose was to provide the regular governments of the states with the means of applying for amendments to the Constitution. And the convention procedure was simply a device, one of two devices considered by the framers during the evolution of the clause through which the demands of 13 contentious states were to be reconciled. The process was a flexible one. New York and the Anti-Federalists pressed for a convention in 1788 and 1789. On the other hand, if the legislatures feared the divisiveness of a general convention, meaning a runaway convention, yet there was in substantial ag agreement regarding some particular problem or issue, they could, as Hamilton suggested, generate specific proposals through the convention procedure without risking a general convention. So Hamilton believed that you could limit the convention to the issues at, 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 that, 
that um, that the applications are asking for. And in this instance, we're asking for federal restraint, term limits, and reining in federal power in one resolution, and the other is a balanced budget amendment. So I, I'll quote cite Hamilton, no, no greater authority probably there than he believed that it could be a restrained convention. All right, and with that, that would be a motion. A motion to adopt the amendment, the committee amendment. Right. On 133. All right, Senator Garrett seconds that. All right, uh, any discussion on that? All those in favor say aye. Aye. All right, any opposition? There being no. none. There being no. A, all right, no. three uh, registered. In fact, if you will register the opposition. Hey. Senator Parputlin, we hear you. Kempson. And Senator Kempson, okay. Senator, uh, Senator Stevens. Senator McLeod, I'm sorry. All right, if you are opposed this, let's see a show of hands. All right. And Senators McLeod, Senator Kempson, and Senator Harpootlin. I can't. Okay. 15 to 8 with that. All right, by a vote of 15 to 8, that motion passes. All right. Senator Kempson, the other bill. That bill as amended. A motion right. to adopt the bill as amended. All right. Second. All right. And can we, any objection to using the same vote, uh, 15 to 8? Any objection to that? All right. There being none. Thank you for listening to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast. To learn more about our grassroots movement, go to www.conventionofstates.com.